So if you're just joining us this morning, uh, this is actually week seven in a series where we're looking to Scripture for what the church is and who the church is supposed to be. And for six weeks we were in the Old Testament, and now we have turned our attention to the New Testament, the New Covenant. And last week, you remember John the Baptist, that final Old Testament prophet, pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And we saw how Jesus himself would prove to be the prophet, the priest, the king, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is pick up from that point on and continue to get a big picture of this thing called the church, the people of God, the community of God, and what it's supposed to be like in the earth, in the world. And so really there could be a subtitle to these next few weeks, which could be the church's job description, who we're supposed to be. What kind of people are we supposed to be? What kind of families are our families supposed to be? What kind of individuals are we supposed to be? But it is still a big picture look. And we're going to pick up in John chapter 1 where we left off last week. Give your attention to verses 35 to 51. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. And told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray that God will bless our understanding of his holy word. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer, that you would bless our understanding of your holy word. A word given not by the inspiration of men, but by the inspiration of your spirit to record truth for your people. And as your people, we now come to you as our teacher. Lord, would you shape our hearts and our minds? Would you open our eyes and our ears that we might see who Jesus is, that we might see who the church is supposed to be? And we ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine this, I have three simple points for you this morning. And the first is this, the gospel begins, the good news of God for sinful men begins with an invitation to come and see. That's what Jesus gives us here. He gives us the very beginning of his ministry. It's recorded here by John and given to us we get to see how Jesus began to gather people to himself, how he calls disciples to himself. And it is the simplest of beginnings. It's a simple invitation to come and to see. Now, realize what's happening here. John the Baptist has his own disciples, those who have been following him. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, there he is. There's the Lamb of God, and his disciples obviously are curious to find out, well, who should we follow? John's pointing to him. And so Jesus is walking through the town, and literally these men are following him. And the text says Jesus turns around and says, well, what do you want? Which is pretty amazing to have this conversation recorded for us. It's so simple. Why are you following me? What are you doing? What do you want? What are you after? And they say, well, where are you staying? And the connotation being, we'd like to go and be with you where you're staying. Taking the posture of disciples under a rabbi. They called him rabbi, teacher. And then Jesus responds with those words of invitation. And this is what I want to highlight. All he says is, well, come and see. And we might say the equivalent of that would be, Come on, come be with, come sit with me, come listen, let's spend some time together. That's really what Jesus is saying. Come and be with, let's go. Come see where I'm staying, let's have time together. That's how the church started. That's how the first disciples were called. The simplest of invitations, come and see, come and see, come and be with. Come and be in my presence be with me in my space. Come and see was the simple invitation that began it all. And come and see as a culture. That's what I want us to consider. This, this posture of come and see, this openness 
to say, come and see. What Jesus had as a posture towards others, surely that's the posture that his church is supposed to have towards people in the world. Come and see. Come and be with. Come be in my space. Be in my comfort zone. Let me host you. Come and see is an invitation and a practice of hospitality. Come and see as a culture or as a way of ministry, it seeks people who are willing and who are curious. And surely that's what these two disciples were. They were very willing to follow Jesus and they were very curious. And to them, Jesus said, come on, come be close, come be with, come be near. Now, this is how Jesus started his church, and I'm suggesting that that same posture, that same mentality, that same mindset is what the church should have, it's what this church should have, and it's what you should have as members of the church. A welcoming, curious, enabling hosting mentality to pull people together that they might come and see come and hear come and follow Jesus isn't that simple it's the simplest ministry strategy that a people could have so why don't we do it very easily well we're busy people right it's not easy to say to people, well, hey, come on over and have a seat at our table. We'll pull up an extra chair or two. We've got extra food. Or to say, get in the car. Ride with me. I'm going to Walmart. Let's spend time together. Or let's meet for coffee. Or let's go for a walk. Or go for a run. Or whatever you might do. But that's the kind of mentality that Jesus had in gathering people to himself. And it's the mentality that we should have as we live in the world that we become the means that it's easy for people to be drawn in and to be gathered where they're going to hear, they're going to come and see who Jesus is and what he's all about. You know, a tailgate picnic is one way to do that, right? People have come out for the tailgate picnic. Everybody loves a good tailgate on a beautiful fall day. These kinds of settings are, are side doors into the church, and we should do things like this frequently. We should make it easy for people to find a way to come in and to see. The gospel begins with a simple invitation, and you and I are supposed to continue that kind of culture, that kind of invitation to people. Because those who come and see, they become the ones who very personally, very naturally, very sincerely can invite other people to come and to see and that's what we see happen in our passage. Second point, the gospel spreads. The gospel is made known person to person and by word of mouth. That's what we have recorded right here. Those who went and sat with Jesus, who were in his space and with him, they left with an enthusiasm and excitement to go and tell other people what they had seen what they had experienced. That's what it says in verses 40 through 45. Listen to that again. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to rename you. You're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas. And then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. There's this excitement, there's this enthusiasm that's almost contagious when people first encounter the truth of Jesus and his gospel. Rob Rayburn says on this passage, he says, this is how the Christian gospel spread from the very beginning. Someone would encounter Jesus and discover that he was indeed the Son of God. He or she would then tell others. It's what has always made new Christians such effective witnesses. The thrill of discovery, the wonder of new life, and a heart full of joy animates the witness of the church. A joyful heart is animated. It's energized. It's brought to life to share with other people what they have come to know to be true. You want people to hear. You want those in your life to know what you know. And this, of course, is what the Bible says about evangelism. It's personal. It's not mechanical. It's sharing what you know, what you have found with others. And it's doing it sincerely. It doesn't have to be done in a weird, mechanical, forced way. It's done relationally. And that's how it always has been done. Now, we can make all kind of mechanical ways out of talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus. But at the end of the day, it's being a real person in the world. Knowing people, sitting with people, enjoying people, and talking about the things that will come out that matter most to you. You know, we will always turn conversations to the things that matter most to us, right? You buy a new car, you're probably going to talk about your new car to people. Your football team wins, you're probably going to talk about your football team with people. When you encounter Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins and new life in him, it should be what we talk about with people. Not in a weird way, not in a mechanical way, but a sincere and personal way. That's a come and see culture, and that's what it should produce. Now, thirdly, the gospel call, it reaches all kinds of people. The gospel, as it spreads, it reaches all kinds of people, all kinds of personalities, and it calls all of them to come together and to worship. Now, imagine that. Different personalities different kinds of people, different interests, it calls them all into the same context to do the same thing. 
Sounds like it would be ripe for tension and conflict and disagreement, doesn't it? Well, that's how the church has always been. It's always a mix of people, personalities, preferences, but they all come for the same reason, and that's to worship. In our passage, we see that the religious are called. These disciples who had a spiritual interest, they were disciples of John. Jesus calls the religious to himself. And we'll learn in future weeks that he'll call the irreligious to himself. Totally different kinds of people, different passions, different pursuits. He funnels them all into his church and redefines them and their purposes and their passions. But in our passage, we also see that he calls the skeptical and the cynical. And that's what I want to emphasize here as we work towards our conclusion of our sermon. That Jesus calls the skeptical, he calls those with questions who are not so sure about this God thing. They're not so sure about this spiritual life. And that's what a skeptic is. A skeptic is one who brings their questions. They're interested, they may be curious, but they got some questions that need to be answered before they get serious about anything, right? We should always have those kinds of people in the church, always. But Jesus also calls the cynical to himself. Those who disbelieve, those who see through everything to what they think must be the real motives. The cynic, the disbelieving cynic. And in our passage, we have this person of Nathaniel that I want to put the spotlight on for a minute. There's a lot of mystery to this person of Nathaniel, and I want you to hear it again. Listen to how Nathaniel, the skeptic, or really the cynic, listen to how he comes to Jesus. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, does that sound like something you'd say? Right? Uh, name your local small town that you don't like very much. You're a little cynical about it. And nothing good comes out of fill in the blank. Right? It's funny. Um, through the years of having four children and playing sports and traveling to little towns all around our little town of Donald's, due west, as you go and take your kids to play, you know, soccer, baseball, whatever, it's always interesting to hear the people at that town talk about the other towns. They all make fun of each other. Iva makes fun of Due West. Due West makes fun of Iva. Abbeville makes fun of Iva. Iva makes fun of Abbeville. And we all make fun of Greenwood, right? Everybody's just kind of cynical about any town except for the one they're from. And that's what Nathaniel's doing. He says, you think you found the Messiah in Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I've already seen through this idea of your Messiah, and based on the little podunk town he's coming from, nothing significant is going to come from Nazareth. That's, that's the kind of person that Nathaniel is. And as he approaches Jesus, Jesus says, now here comes a guy in whom there is no deceit. And actually it says, here is one in whom there is no guile. And we really don't talk in either of those ways. We would say it like this. Jesus sees him coming and Jesus says, now here's a straight shooter. 
He calls it the way that he sees it, and he speaks his mind. That's essentially what Jesus is saying of Nathaniel. People know Nathaniel. That's, that's just who he is. He's a straight shooter. He's going to tell you what he thinks, and it's not going to have a lot of fluff to it. Some of you are that way. Maybe you're Nathaniel. But here's what happens in this mysterious encounter with Nathaniel. Jesus says that of Nathaniel as he's coming, and Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? And Jesus answered to the skeptic, to the cynic, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. What in the world was going on at the fig tree? We don't know. There's a lot of speculation. To me, the, the best speculation and what others have suggested is it's as if Nathaniel, in hearing that there was this Messiah coming to town, the cynical, skeptical Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree, perhaps is a little bit excited about this possibility. And maybe he prays, Lord, if this is really true, if the Messiah has really come, make it known, make it clear, make it unmistakable. Something like that. We don't know. We have no idea. But we know that Jesus was not in his company. And as soon as Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, I know you, and I knew you when you were under the fig tree, which triggers Nathaniel. How did you know? How do you know me? How do you know what happened under the fig tree? And Nathaniel's response to Jesus knowing what happened under the fig tree was to say, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. And then he gives a reference to the Old Testament, a messianic process, a promise. Very truly, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is a mysterious encounter with Jesus that we don't know the detail to. We can wonder. But what I can say is that this Jesus still works mysteriously in calling a people to himself today. Now, ordinarily, we believe he does it by his word and by his spirit, by the teaching and the preaching of his word. But God calls a people to himself however he wishes and however he will. And maybe in your own life, maybe it's been through preaching and through teaching and through reading, or maybe you can just say somehow mysteriously, God has drawn me to him and convinced me that he's real and that he's true. Or maybe you're not yet sure if he has wooed you and called you in such a way. And that's what I want to end with this morning. When you hear about the come and see call of Jesus, where are you in that process? Can you say, I have come and I have seen that Jesus is the Messiah and I trust him. I believe he is who he says he is. If that's you, you need to be a baptized Christian who's a member of a church and we'd love for you to be here.
If you believe that Jesus is who he said that he was, you need to be a part of his church because his church is for you. His church is his family and you belong in it. So where are you in that come and see culture? Maybe you feel like you're on the outside of it. You feel like maybe you're seeing, you're willing to come. Maybe you're the skeptic. Maybe you're the curious one. Maybe you're the cynic. Whatever the case, you need to identify yourself in this passage. Which kind of person are you? And where are you in that process of coming and seeing for yourself? And then secondly, where are you in that process of inviting others to come and see? Because remember, that's how this thing works called the church. We're the side door. We're the welcoming presence. We're the inviters who care about our neighborhoods, who care about our coworkers, who care about our teammates and our classmates. We should be inviters of others to come and see. So where are you in that process? Is church just something that you do? It's for your family. This is your place. This is your time. Or do you see that you are an instrument in the hand of God to go and invite others naturally, relationally, enjoyably, maybe to practice hospitality in some way? Where are you in the process of being one who calls others to come and see? So our passage this morning does those two simple things. It invites you to come and see, and it invites you to be an inviter of others to come and see. And if they come, we pray that we're making it clear who we believe Jesus is and what his word has told us. We want this to be a place where you can have confidence that if you invite your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, co-workers you, you know what kind of stuff they're going to hear. That's our duty, that's our job, that's our privilege. But we want to be a growing, healthy community the same way, the same culture that Jesus modeled for us. Oh, that we could be those kinds of people as we live in our little town sprinkled all around greater Greenwood, that we might be the church, faithful to love others, faithful to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's step one in the church's job description. Is that of any interest to you? Let's pray together. Lord, you said you would make those who follow you fishers of men. And that's our prayer this morning for Greenwood Presbyterian Church. That you would make us fishers of men. Those who cast a net seeking to draw in any who would come. Lord, would you give us a greater heart than what we have? A greater heart for people? A greater heart for your church? Would you slow our lives down if they're too busy? Would you still us enough to see the people around us, their hurts, their needs, that what they're longing to hear is truly the gospel? And Lord, would you make us a people who know this mysterious calm as we live our life in an unstable world? Lord, would you do these things in us and through us that we might more faithfully be the church in the world? And we pray it together in Christ's name. Amen.